of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 416. Jason Lingren is with me and Dylan Sicosio is back. Dylan just put out a new book. He sent it to me and I'll give thanks to Dylan uh, in the dedication. He mentions me. So thank you for that. I think he mentions some other people too. Uh, welcome, Jason. Oh, and good morning. All right. Well, we're here in summer. Finally, it's starting to feel like summer, but let's uh, let's do this. Welcome, Dylan. Thank you for having me back, guys. It's uh, It's always a pleasure. You're one of the only people that I can talk to about these subject matters where you guys can keep up and it's not like I'm the crazy one in the room. It's, so. a, it's a very weird world because you can't really speak your mind to anybody and people don't seem to be listening or focusing almost like a zombie apocalypse or something to make a bad pun. But you just recently uh, put out your book. You sent me a hard copy. Why don't you tell people where they can find you, where they can find your book and do the whole rigmarole? Yeah, absolutely. For for those who want to keep up with my latest announcements, whether I'm on a podcast or whether I've got something new coming out, it's just my name on YouTube. And then the this the book series that we're, we'll be talking about today is Spirit World, W-H-I-R-L-E-D. The latest book is A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. My books are everywhere, but... Um, the publisher, like the for the paperbacks and stuff that I use, it was a publishing company that was acquired by Amazon. So no matter how you get it, it's going to come through those avenues at, somehow. Which will be everyone. Amazon is still busy buying things. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, and it, it's a great service. Amazon provides a great service. It's just it's sad that they get subsidized by the government and all these tax breaks. And there's a lot of stuff I don't like about Amazon. Like ruining Lord of the Rings? Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at the service they provided, uh, brick and mortar entrepreneurs, that's why they're so successful is because people can have basic storefronts without paying rent. And in today's age, that's going to get harder and harder because there's less foot traffic. And like we were talking about, there's probably going to be a lot less foot traffic coming up. So just got to use the systems that we have available to us and you know, I'm grateful for Amazon, even though I don't like a lot of the things about them, especially those, you know, $600 contracts that they get or $600 million contracts that they get from the CIA. But, you know, who am I to complain? If I can't build something better, I got to use what's available. Well, it doesn't uh, hurt them that they're basically a monopoly, probably not by definition, but everyone knows what, what that means. And the other thing is they're so damn convenient. There's your problem. <laughs> the, the new world that we're entering in here is... One of the main design structures is to shrink the world down to about 150 miles around you, probably eventually about 50 miles around you, and then eventually as tight as they can make it. Uh, And this is echoed in the coming of the electric car. Uh, The electric car is going to take you 300-ish miles, which means you go 150 away from home. If you've got a low-end model, it might take you all night to charge it. If you can spend 500 grand, I think they're up to six or 700 miles range and you can charge in 15 or 16 minutes. So you can see the game that's being played here. Uh, The world, if this keeps on, will shrink down to your local area if they get their way. Um, But who knows? There are things called acts of God and uh, this all could crumble under its own weight. And by the way, I always say it, the best laid plans of mice and men. So Let's jump in here, Dylan. You handed me some notes and I'm noticing the dying sun gods. You want to jump in there? Because I think that really fits where... Which Roman numeral Which Roman numeral are we looking at? I'm going to... Top level one, sub level four, A4. 
under the okay, mythology. So, so mythology. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that's, I, that's basically how I kicked off the first chapter of this book. So for anyone who hasn't heard of spirit world, if you like this conversation, just go read the first chapter for free. It's uh, if, you, if like you look at the Kindle version, version, it allows you to look inside or whatever. But um, the dying sun gods, yeah. So this is like the the cornerstone of all mythology, and I call it the mythos of the seed. Others call it the corn myth. If you go back in time far enough, the corn and the seed mean the exact same thing, and they're all etymol- etymologically and philologically linked to each other. And so you look at these dying sun gods, right? So the key to understanding the mythos is to know the cycle of the sun and the celestial bodies, the seasons, the days, the hours, which is an anagram for Horus, the sun, where we get like words like horizon. I know you've probably covered this a million times. It's not just the sun. It's also the life cycles of everything. And so the most obvious is going to be the figures that represent the aspects of the sun that we've talked about before during its yearly journey and like all the, um, how you, you always have the best analogies where it's like the sun is an actor playing different parts throughout the year. And so after that, the second most obvious will be the corn myth, which is encoded, um, in the seed symbolism, the etymology, the traditions, the names, like just off the top of my head, if you look at like series, but if you pronounce that, like the C and K are interchangeable, which they are, you get kiris, and you start looking into the root of that word, and you see kris, which is going to be in Christ, all that stuff. And um, from that seed symbolism, you get things that we've talked about, like the, go- the Capricorn, the goat seed. Um, you get cerebrum, the seed of Brahm. Um, you get cerebellum, the seed of war, cornucopia. Uh, you get... It ultimately ties into Kiren in Hebrew and Kornu representing the horn and radiance, which is a sign for the sun, which is why they all have like horned gods like Kronos, Pan, Cernunos, Jupiter, Amun, Moses, Zeus the father, Moses, Moses, yep. So the ancient people, they use these like original zodiacal and astrological charts to create history and they use them to create renowned figures localities, kings, then they basically also applied them to geography. And so the myths came first, and then they used it to forge a historical narrative that they turned into basically history. It's, it's allegory, but it's history. But when you look at it, it's not just any allegory. It's this astrological correspondence. Now, I don't think it's as malicious as it can look. Like sometimes when you look at the cults behind it, it looks really malicious. But if you think about it from a perspective before you had the written letter, there's no way to record this stuff. And so there's a reason that they have to create these stories. So even though they're fake or not necessarily fake, but even though they're not like like reality, sometimes they indicate a historical thing that occurred. So you as a researcher have to just decide like, it's kind of like, how much of what am I of what I'm looking at has these details that correspond to astrotheology? Like, is this a king who's just taking the name of a son and and that doing that Indian tradition? Or is this person an entirely fictional character that they're passing off as a dying sun god or whatever, you know? So 
The problem with it, though, is um, the masses, if once this knowledge gets to be common, they take these images or these concepts literally while failing to grasp all the meaning encoded because the priest class keep that for themselves and it turns into idolatry. So there's, if you look at mythology, like in, in the history of our world that we have available to us, there is not one great empire or culture that doesn't have its own mythology. And those which have risen since the fall of Rome, they lasted only a couple centuries. In my opinion, it's because they didn't create their own myth to symbolize their own history. Because the, the, the culture and the technology, people don't appreciate mythology anymore. So it's hard to pass off mythology for a modern nation because everybody will call bullshit on it. But if you actually explain to people the significance of mythology, then they might understand, oh, yeah, we should create this and know what it means so we can encode, encode our history. And what they did instead is you see in like America, they just adopted all this like sunken, like post Hellenic literalist thinking, you know, that's just like, we're all still Roman slaves, right? You, all the legal shows you guys have done, you've proven that. And we're all too ignorant for the most part. When I say us, I'm not talking about you and like your audience, but like just generally our nation and culture, we're too ignorant to recognize that we're still under that Roman rule. and. It's unfortunate because a lot of people are, are doing really great work attacking the minutia, the details of the system, and how to get these little temporary victories. But if you don't see where this system comes from and how far back it goes, you are going to be able to do nothing to change it because a temporary victory in this system has happened over and over again. But if you're not willing to look at religion and the priest class, because they're the ones that control it all, you were going to get nowhere and they'll just get everything under their control and change the, the rules. So any little loopholes or victories you get, they'll just work the system and, and account for that and it'll change course. And they've had times where they've struggled with like the barons and the kings and stuff, but they always had the upper hand because they had the secrets of letters. And so if you were looking at like the time of like the alleged existence of Jesus, right? Other cultures in that region all over Europe, Mesopotamia, North Africa, they all had their, uh, their dying and rising sun gods. The Babylonians had Tammuz. The Romans had the Phrygian Attis. The Phoenicians had Adonis or Adonis. The Egyptians had Osiris, right? So like you look at like how many conspirators were there in Osiris? 72. How many disciples in Jesus? 72. These are significant numbers that correspond to astrological information. They're not historical. And so when you look at like, um, this is just according to Plutarch, there were approximately three days between the death of Osiris recognized from a theer. This was the month back then, the theer 17th through 19th, and also for the Roman Attis from March 22nd and 25th. And so you're always going to see these dates corresponding to significant things, whether it's an equinox or a solstice. And the gods are always dying and rising because the sun is always dying and rising. And that's one of them, like, that is, our life literally mirrors that. And so I would say one of the things, like, there's, there's keys when you look at these dying sun god myths, the corn myths, the most common astrotheology 
theme that I see is what happens in the night sky during winter around the solstice. And that's because that's when most of these cultures reckon the year. And you'll see this allegorized in almost every culture's mythoses. And that's going to be the rape of Persephone or the stealing of Helen of Troy. And that would be like, the, you also see the sun god being born of a virgin through immaculate conception. You'll see him being born from the side of his mother. That's where we get things like the cesarean section, the C-section. Those are all astrotheological occurrences that happen at midnight on December 25th when the sign on the ascendant was Virgo. Now, it's, it's drifted off because of the procession, but it's still the same drama playing out. Like Anybody can go watch this stuff. And if you want to see what I'm alluding to, I go in depth into the books, uh, in the books to explain it like word for word. But basically, you have like in the East was Vindemiatrix, which is the great harvestress. And so as the night goes on, Virgo continues to rise and rule the sky until dawn. And so when the sun rises on December 25th, Virgo would be at the midheaven. And so that's why you see the sun being born of a virgin and from her side in the east. And so as she's the highest constellation, the sign the sun had entered was Capricorn or the manger of the goat. And that's why you see all of these gods looking like satyrs, which are philologically Saturn, you know? So that would be uh, time for you guys to add some value to this because I don't want to keep talking. <laughs> There's so many things that, that you've just laid down. A book that I've mentioned recently called The Worship of Augustus Caesar by an author named Del Mar. He makes the point, and we know that all roads lead to Rome, but if you want to keep going, all roads lead to India. And, and that's a fact. That's a provable fact. Uh, both of those statements are true. It just how far back do you want to go? If you look at what he was pointing out, his claim is, is that in those much older times when India was the main game in town, they had a period of time, which is very close to 666 years, where they knew a new teacher was going to show up. And as a matter of fact, you couldn't be the next teacher unless you fit certain criteria and actually came to be within the time you're expected to be there. Now that starts to speak to cycles of the time clock that can't be faked. And what Del Mar does is he says Octavio, Octavius, the heir of Caesar, Julius, was a god in his lifetime because he stole it. He shifted everything to force his story to be in the correct period of time. And it wasn't shifted by much. And who he was trying to bump out was the Christ. What we're, what we're modern with. Now, these ideas, they're ideas, right? Um, if you want to spend a lifetime trying to make heads or tails of them, that's one thing. But I would point out another thing. In 2013 or something like that, I got a hydrogen alpha solar scope. What a solar telescope allows you to do is see the flamey prominences coming off the limbs of the moon. But with another piece of equipment called a double stack, you can see all the detail on the face of the moon. And not just, I'm not talking sunspots. You can see that with the most basic of filters. So when I first got it, there was all this detail all over the face of the sun, these sunspots, these little tornadoes, these rills. It looks like a rip through the face of the sun. The prominences would often look like a tornado. So there was all this activity. Well, 
each year that went by, less and less and less. Today, my friend in Michigan has his camera pointed at the sun. There are no visible protrusions or prominences or the little flamey things coming off. And there is one minor sunspot. Over this time, what we've seen is all this activity go down to nothing. Now, of course, the mainstream is going to tell you, oh, of course, this is lunar solar minimum or whatever they want to make up um, and tell you it is. The problem is, is we haven't been paying attention enough for the last 11 years, so we can't confirm or deny, but we're pretty sure NASA is not giving us a straight shot. My point is the activity on the sun has dropped to near nothing. Almost everyone you speak to remembers a much more orangey, yellowy sun, which is now very pale. And most people realize that direct sunlight now is much more abundant, like it feels more direct. My point is the following. There is a cycle up there. There are things going on. They track these things carefully. And every one of these spiritual traditions was tied to the creation, or let's say that a different way, the sky clock. So what does it mean when the sun is very active? What people have begun to say is that the spiritual influence being given us is reduced when there's lots of sunspots and other things. And when it begins to be what they call solar minimum, there's this just naked face of the sun and it feels very direct. They're claiming that's when all these influences are at sight. The reason I'm doing this long-winded explanation is to try to show that back in a day, the creation was the creation. If you looked up, you're still in the creation. If you look down, you're in the creation, all of it. And they tied all these spiritual narratives to what they could see. So that's a big mouthful, but I think it bears mentioning. One of the things, this is totally anecdotal. I'm not, this is out of my wheelhouse, but I remember like when I used to be interested in this stuff from like the financial perspective, I saw that the old families back in the day knew by having their astrologers look at the sunspots, they were able to know whether it was going to be a bountiful like harvest season and whatnot. And so they could like, bet on um, whatever would be the equivalent, like betting on like futures contracts or whatever on like how things would perform. Like wheat and corn. Yeah. And make more money because of it. I think that's demonstrably true. And these are the things that we've lost. So if many of us paid attention, I don't think it would take us that long to get back when there's a ton of sunspots. Does that mean that all that energy is being diffuse in some way? Because right now there's almost no sunspots and everything feels blatantly direct and it looks pale. All the color seems to have been out of it since when I was young. So these old families who probably peruse the Vatican basement at will or got handed down the tradition, I think what they know are probably provable, real aspects of nature that inform them very accurately. Yeah. And this was their profession, you know, like anybody could get good at this stuff if that's what they did for a living. You know, if that was like their guild looking at the heavens, once you get your bearings on it, it's pretty much going to stay the same for a long time. So I think what would be fun to go into is just because you mentioned Augustus and one of my family's names literally means like uh, from Caesar or of Caesar. And I'm of the opinion. So I spend a lot of time in this latest book, like kind of showing you how they're pretty much astrotheology too. I don't know that I accept that they're real people at this point. Um, what I liked about that Del Mar guys, he showed how like there was like a 15 year discrepancy between the years of Christ Augustus and Octavia in Christ. And so what it looks to me, just looking at it, because of all the astrotheology swirling around this thing, is that they tried to make that Augustus figure the new thing. A living God. Yeah, but it failed. 
but it doesn't mean he was real. It, he could be, I don't know, but it, it didn't take. And so then a couple centuries later, they tried to do it with Christ. They tried to do it with the new avatar. That's what I think happened. Um, just because of all the astro theology. Um, and there's like, uh, I translated this decree from the Vatican library and, um, basically they didn't depict Christ as a crucified savior. It was like mandated, like in the year 680. So prior to that, he was still depicted in like churches and stuff as the Anya's day. And so what you see is like, um, even, even like, this is like all like allegedly, cause I'm not the person to like, to verify these documents, but they say like, oh, the sun entered the Piscean age on the year Alexander was born around like 360 BC. So what is observable during that Christian era is the attempt to change everything over to the fish symbolism, right? Where like the bishops and stuff, they're called the little fishes. You know, you see this with like the root and like the word Vishnu, right? V and F interchange. So it's literally fish. None. None is another yep, fish. Exactly. Yep. And so, so you see the attempt, like the ichthys, you see all these attempts, but it didn't take because the people like their Anyaste, the Lamb of God. And this, that also goes back to India too. Uh, um, the, hol- it, the, the holiday is actually called Holi, H-O-L-I. And um, Agni would be the God and he's on the ram and everything. And they would you know, offer the burnt sacrifice called a... Uh, hollow something. I don't want to say anything in the first hour if it gets censored, but everybody can see the significance of a burnt offering as a sacrifice. And then that event, well, why would you ever call that event something that's a burnt, like an offering? And so for me, like when I look at the the Caesars, I just see the same, if, if they're real, what I would see is the practice of the Hindu Kings and um, other wealthy and powerful men across time. What they do is they assume a sacred name from one of their gods. And that practice was adopted by the Romans because the Romans are like basically, whether as a people or not, their system is left over from when the Asians expanded, or at least at the very least initiated their ruling class and brought them into the fold because the same systems in Europe, they're all found in India. And the mistake I see with people today, and we can go into feudalism and stuff if you want, but they think all this this system is like monarchies and stuff and feudalism, that it's inherent to Europe. And I'm sitting here going, no, 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 no. You can find people talking about how Europe didn't even have monarchies or kings around the time of Janus when that was their God. And what did Augustus do? He closed the temple of Janus thrice. And I can't help but think of that uh, the cop crowed thrice and Peter wept bitterly. And I see all this like astro astro theological, uh, symbolism corresponding to that time of the year. You know, obviously Jan, for those who don't know, Janice comes from Janua, which means door. And, uh, that's the, the keys, the kingdom of heaven. When the door of the year, you go in one door, the old year ends and you go through it. New year begins, but this problem this practice of these guys adopting these names, it makes it almost impossible to distinguish history from master theology, in my opinion. Well, it does. And so, you know, you're pointing out a problem, but here, here's, look, we're, we're living, we still live with the ideas of so-called ancient Rome. We know mm-hmm. the laws and many of the things. So that came from somewhere, but the problem is always, you know, is this described correctly? 
almost nothing is described correctly, but based on what Augustus did, I would surmise, and by the way, or Del Mar, I'm talking about the, the worship of Augustus book by Del Mar. Um, first of all, the man thought astrology was poppycock. He also thought history was poppycock. As a matter of fact, there's not too much that he looked at that he wasn't calling poppycock on. Uh, the book is remembered as a critically key book that should be kept, kept alive. I surmised in this way. There was a teacher coming, and there is always another teacher coming, one after the other, through time, for all peoples from the beginning to wherever we go. And what Augustus did, well, they tried to prop up Caesar, and he was well on his way to being a living divinity, a fake living divinity, but nonetheless, basically a god on earth because everyone said it was true, and they killed him. His heir, adopted heir, is Augustus. And he did it. He pulled it off. And the reason I think it's true is because Delmar and others have found literature that the Vatican didn't quite scrub. But here's where the rub is. Delmar shows us that the Latin Sacred College, there's two places that he echoes over and over that basically went around the world collecting all the documents they could get. Not everyone could read and they rewrote them. And I think what actually happened was Augustus was a god in his time. Even when we look at, what is it? Is it Virgil? Is it the Ennead? One of these things, he's basically kowtowing to Augustus, saying, oh, you got on earth. You can see it right there. The life of Virgil, there's a lot of people that I've shown that the life of Virgil is nothing more than Homer. Right, right. So, so th these are the same problems over and over. But when you look at what the Latin college supposedly scrubbed and all the things they did, then you have to say, well, was there ever a dude named Cicero or Cicero? As some people say, was there ever a dude named this or that? You just pointed out problems with classic literature. Where did it start? Did the Vatican make this up? But my point would be at some point, the Vatican decided that it wasn't going to be Augustus that was remembered at year zero, where he apparently tried to shift his timeline into whatever the Christ consciousness was going to be at the time. There was a shift there. So if Augustus made it, why didn't the Vatican just run with it? Well, for one thing, the dude died. Not much of a god, right? Everybody dies. So I think they reverted it back. And that takes us to the whole idea of why and on God's green earth, why would they zero the calendar? And by the way, why would they not have a year zero? There are so many questions here that I don't think we can ever rightly answer without the right records well i would i would offer this that the christian reckoning of the year is the best reckoning for the entire world because it based on the chaldeans that's that's how they got it right when was it decided to change though from whatever it was well so basically all these other countries all these other cultures had it wrong they had a 360 day year caesar called upon sosagenes who is a chaldean astrologer so here, here's the case that people make, and I'd, I'd vehemently against this, but just the case. They say, how could all these cultures be making the same mistake if they're not connected? Um, and I agree with that. But the way they justify it requires the heliocentric worldview. And they say, well, no, the year used to be 360 days, but a comet came by and shook everything up and now everything's all <laughs> wiggly piggly and the earth wobbled the, ox uh, the axis change it's the same nonsense that a lot of this tataria stuff is predicated upon it's predicated same with the irish stuff 
it's predicated upon the poles being warmer and a heliocentric worldview, which is crazy because most of these people are flat earthers and know that space is fake. But it is what it is, you know? So that's that's like that's why they had to correct the calendar because it was so far off of its reckoning. And even the Chaldeans, so what the Chaldeans did is they knew about an intercalary that was like they had to add every one of these Neros. They knew to add, it was like 28 hours and like one minute and like five seconds or something crazy like that. And so because the Chaldees come from ancient India, Tamil, all that stuff, it works for the entire empire. So it's not just like a European thing. There's a logical problem in this though, and I know you faced it. So what, what the mainstream wants us to believe is Julius woke up one day and said, what the hell? It's December and I'm in the middle of summer. <laughs> okay. The logical problem with the reasoning there is that's an agrarian society. So you're telling me that they slipped however many months out and they were still knowing when to plant. It doesn't work because all they had to do was look up at the sky clock in the same way when you were describing Virgo. I know, and I don't know near what those people did, that when I see Spica, that's the corn or the wheat in Virgo's hand mm-hmm. coming over, you know, it's this this what they were looking at. And they would see and the, not- pro- well, they, they would know when to plant by looking at the sky. So how is it that you could have a parallel calendar slipping by months or half of a year? It that's It's too big a problem for me to, to accept that logic. Well, there's some, there's definitely some gravel there, but if you think about it from just like, um, like the re- like when they did the Gregorian, it's like it's eleven. It's like when the equinox. It took like fifteen hundred years or whatever it was. It was a long time for the equinox to be like eleven days off of its reckoning. It's like that kind of thing. So it's it's not like this is something that's happening so fast that you know, like you could still plant your crops eleven days later, and you know it might not be the same thing, but it's still going to impact you enough to not correspond to your religious holidays. Well, their, their, their claim is though, that they're, they're waking up to December and summer. That's one of the mainstream yeah, I mean, claims. I, I don't, I wouldn't be by that for a second, especially because one of the key traits that every great empire also needs is the ability to make starchy grains, right? You need to be able to feed those soldiers when they're conquering and all that exactly. stuff. And Agrarian. There's, there's no way that you're getting that far off that system. No, it, it can't be. But you see, there's more according to Del Mar and some other people that I've read. Del Mar, correctly, in my view, says you can't possibly start to even try to know anything about history once you leave the 12-month system. And any place that was on a lunar calendar, give it up, guys, because even the best chronologers in the world are going to tell you this is a bridge too far. It's a problem that can't be surmounted. Now, what he's claiming, and I've read it in other places, is we know Rome had a 10-month calendar at some point, right? Um, And we know they shifted up. So during this period of time that we're talking about, when supposedly Augustus is going to make a run to be a living God, which I kind of accept that it happened. Um, I can't prove it, but no one can prove it. It's too long ago, and the Vatican has jacked up, and the Sacred Latin College has jacked up too much stuff. But the point I would make is we're pretty sure there was a 10-month calendar in Rome, right? Yeah. Well, at the very least, there was a 10. There was, yeah, there was like, there was a 10. Well, they believe that there was like an ages. I don't know about the month thing. 
I, it's been a while. It's been over a year since I looked at this, um, and I'm not prepped for it. But Delmar breaks it down. If you if you want to go back and look at his ideas on it, Delmar breaks it down pretty well, and actually names the month as they come. Name uh, January and February oh, yeah, are the two right. editions. Yeah, December, December. Yep, yep, yep. You're right. You're right. So the calendar of Romulus is like Deca. ten months. Yeah. December, Deca. And, That's yep. that was the last and, um, month. And so in that, the things that I've read is that some of the months weren't the same lengths. Like some of them would only be like 20 days and it's like, cause there was right. like the civil year and then like the actual astrological year or whatever. So it's grabbled as all hell. Well, well, what if they just simply had a sane world and they had different calendars, which we know they had a civil, we know they had an annual. So why the hell wouldn't they have a moon? Why wouldn't they have a moon calendar? Maybe they were running everything off the moon calendar. And what they were bitching about was their solar calendar. You know, they couldn't sync. But you see, how could that be if we came from 10 months, which we know they did, just look at the names of the month, Sept, that's not the ninth month, that's the seventh month. Look yes. at Nove, look at Dec, Deca, December. That's only 10 months. That was the last one. We know they added January and February. It's even well outlined in the Del Mar book. But so he does a pretty good job of showing you how it got here. But think about this idea. Everyone who can think has a problem with procession. And yet we know what's happening, right? No one lives long enough to say, hey, man, uh, I saw a degree of procession. You know, what is it? Every 72 years or something like this, where you losing a degree. So it's pretty much a lifetime. What they're claiming is the world got hit or something and it spins like a top and we process backwards because of that through the Zodiac. But think about this idea. What if the sky clock is changing speed? What if it's slowly speeding up? What if a true year was once a true circle, 360? There were 360 days, 360 degrees. A year was a true circle. And what if the sky clock just has it built in? I mean, think about the speed of a culture in an in a imaginary time like ancient Rome and think of the speed at which we're going through a day. Is it possible? There's so many things that we could bring into this. But at the end of the day, I got to say I'm with Del Mar. If you even try to go beyond the 12-month count, good luck to you. You're just guessing. And unless you can crack. Well, that's why I focused on That's why I focused on language. Right. Exactly. It's so what you, you like did what I things. did. Yeah, you did what I did. When you can't do more with your telescope, you go to language. And so like, even like when you look at, you can just look at like the Irish, for example, with their language, they have the exact same letters as the Greek that they were given by the Phoenician. No more. So they are, they are observably, they had that language because the Irish are remnants of the Phoenicians. That's what I'm working on now. And um, you can see with language, even though you're not going to be able to date things, you can at least put together some sort of timeline. I was like, okay, this culture has these words in their system. This culture is built on this language, but it's also an improvement of this language. And like, you can start seeing where like these, they're all the same language. They're just dressed up differently because the priest class and the cultures that wield that for a long time, that was their secret system. That was their advantage. It's not really an advantage anymore because everybody's literate for the most part. But like when you're talking about like Augustus, well, Octavius, Augustus was an Egyptian title for the for the Nile. And Caesar was a name for Mars in the, the Gallic nations. Like people don't realize like Italy was Celtic. Like all of Europe was pretty much Celtic. They're taking these pantheon, of, excuse me, <clears throat> of gods 
and they're just adopting the names. And I don't know if it's real people or not. Because without like artifacts. You can't. Yeah. You get, just, just let me interject. There's, there's no yeah. way that I'm aware of without actually getting the keys to the real library somehow. Um, but there are logical things you can know along the way. Like I just did with 10 months, like Delmar did, like you did. We know there were 10 months at one point and we even know the two months that were added. So we'd like to know more, but when you're done with this idea, I'll show you where I arrived just using a bird, just using nature, but finish your thought. Well, I was going to say, because then you have that month of August in Egypt was called Thoth, and that would have been the first month. So like the winter and summer thing, I don't know about that, but it might be an allegory for them changing the reckoning of the year from summer to winter, something like that, you know? So like even like um, the first of um, August in Ireland, Ireland was called the ghoul of August, and it was called Latat, and Tat is Buddha or Lama's Day. By the moderns, it's like Lama, Tat, Buddha, like it's all coming from the Orient. And then it's also called La Lunasa, um, but Tat is also Thoth and Tiot, Tiot, Tiotates. These are all these like Mercurial, Mars, whatever, whatever archetype for the sun, sun you want to pick, they're taking them. And ultimately, even like um, Alexander Del Mar, right? Like if you look at Isar, Ishar, Asir, it all comes from Ishvara. And, and um, even if you look at that root uh, in Arabic, it would be like uh, Aisha. It would look like transliterated I-S-A. And so that would be Alaisha, the Christ. And so in Alexander, if you just convert the, uh, the E and I interchange, the X and the S interchange, right? Saka can be spelled like another name for Buddha, where the Saki and the Saxons come from, allegedly, and the Scythians. That can be spelled as S-A-C-A or X-A-C-A. So you have Al-Aisha in Alexander's name. And so that's why, like, even like the conquer Alexander, you know, it's all sun, it looks like sun symbolism. And then you have this author who's literally the Christ of the sea. That's his name. So it's like, they're all t- like, part of me thinks he's writing for a specific audience himself because there's a lot of stuff he doesn't explain. Well, I'm, I'm going to point out a thing here. If you see a bird, you know, damn well, no one has to say, hey, bird, you know, next week it's going to be really cold. You might want to think about getting out of here and going south, right? Bird doesn't right. need to be told that. However, he does it, or they, or however different animals do, they are so in tuned with the natural creation, they know when to do what they do and they do it. They're in perfect step with the creation. That's where we, the human beings have lost our way. So my point here is what if the people who like to run the show never forgot the older traditions that kept you very tightly bound to the cycles that were important in Del Mar's book, he'll tell you about the 560 or 660 year cycles. These, all these cycles were important, but think about this. I have long suspected that the nine and the 11 in nine 11 are being lifted from the 11 year solar cycle and the 19 year metonic cycle of the moon. Now, both the authors we've mentioned today have made a big deal out of the metonic cycle, but think about mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So 2001 happens. How many years later, Till this covidious minimus kicks 19 years, right? There's another one and a nine. So what if we're just not aware of the right cycles? And so when you go back to look at these supposed rulers and it looks like us, 
to us like it's completely just actors on a stage. What if to be at that level in those times when the cycles were known, you had to conform to the time? See what I'm saying? In other words, the sun, this cycle, the sun's here. Now this is the new cycle. So automatically that leader would associate with that part of the creation, which would be the sun rising or setting. There's so many possibilities when we get here. That's so that's the thing is you can't write anything off. Like that's why it's better to, instead of make claims, debunk stuff. And it's like almost like a process of elimination. But I really liked what you said earlier in addition to these possibilities, how do you know that the the stars and the fixed stars or whatever are not changing speeds or whatever? And you don't. And that's why it's important to right. not make claims. How, say, how okay. could you know, as a matter of fact, other, if you did not count the cycles of sun or moon or something and know where the starting point was, you would not be able to tell. And by the way, it is claimed that some of the South American uh, pyramids are calendars and they get smaller at the top because time is speeding up the higher up the calendar you get. That's Interesting. I'm actually, I'm looking at Mexico right now. So yeah, it's, oh, it, a there's thing. a lot of, I've already got like all these theories of who I think they are, but you're, yeah, th- th- it's inseparable. In fact, speaking of Mexico, if you look at what the Jesuits, how the Jesuits dismissed them, it was basically like, they found that they basically spoke a, cor- a different version of Hebrew, a dialect of Hebrew what we like, you know, from like the Syriac and all that stuff, because they're coming from India and they don't have a written language. They didn't have letters yet. They still have the same mythoses as the Christians and the Jews, but in one mythos. So they haven't separated. They don't have writing yet. So they couldn't have gotten that knowledge from the West or from the Christians or the Jews. Not only that, if Christians of Jews had brought it to them, they also would have brought the ability to mine and smelt iron which they didn't, they didn't have when the Spaniards got over there. So the way they dismissed that, the Jesuits are like, oh, they're of the devil. That's why they speak corrupt Hebrew and totally dismiss everything. They dismiss the fact that they use crucifixes on the dead bodies and toward evil spirits. It, and it is because this all goes back to Tibet, a crucifix at every crossroad. So it's, there is so much they're hiding and that's why I explore languages because I feel like that is the last place where you can figure out where stuff is, is you can't erase it. If you know what words mean, the only problem is you can only go so far back before the first languages are numerals. And so like the ancient Chinese empire, they could all understand the same language written down in numeral form, but they like in the characters and stuff, but they couldn't speak to each other. And so it was like this language of commerce. This is part of the social engineering in my view, because if you go back, let's just say the late 1800s, people who were well-to-do and well-educated, they were speaking four languages. The reason for part of it was the Latin was going to go with the religious of the West ideas, and it was going to become the naming convention for all scientific things. But the Greek, well, why would you learn Greek? Well, because you wanted to be able to read the classics in what they consider to be the native tongue. And so they read all these different languages. And as an example of this, and Hebrew was included, which we don't, we're not even aware of. The other day I was talking to Fortune and um, he was asking me about my view of the firmament and these ideas. And I explained it to him and he said, well, that's very interesting because the, the Hebrew uh, that for firmament actually means dome. 
So we break it down. He knows enough about it and looked up what he couldn't recall to get the numerology, what I call numerology, the gematria on it, uh, which in basic, my bastardized way of doing it, uh, sums to 11. But my point was all these older educated people knew way more than we did about being able to get back to things that matter through the language and the way that you're trying to tackle. Because if you spoke Hebrew, Greek, German, Latin, um, and Spanish of some sort, uh, you've got a, a lot more going for you when you even, you know, even just the basic Hebrew, knowing what a character actually means, just the character by itself and its numeric value. Uh, I couldn't believe it when he told me the character, the, the representation of characters for the firmament means dome. Yeah, it's, I'm like, come on, how come that's not common knowledge? You know, why, why isn't that on every flat earth blog in town? Well, for those who want to look that up, it's Rakio. Well, it's technically it would be transliterated as R-Q-I-O, but they transliterate it as Rakia. Yep. But it would be Resh, Kof, Yod, Ayan, for those who want to uh, look it up. So you just did what he did off the top of his head when we were talking about it. And we. Were, and so he did the numerology of that and it, and it points he out had, something? He had to look up a couple, but he did some of it right off the top of his head. He knew just by counting, you know, back... I've met a few people now that were educated at a level that really doesn't exist in the world anymore to any great degree. And the education that they have puts them in a whole different situation to know things or to be figure out things. But the other thing I've noticed is that history back at that time and that level, at a certain level of being in society, they speak about the past history as post-Atlantean and everything before that. That's how they look at it. To the point where I think even the Greek myths that we got are the remnants of what happened in Atlantis in, in, the, in the history that I'm suspecting uh, was given them. And in that way of thinking, what you're saying, the problem of what you're saying about how could they have a corrupted Hebrew in the South America? Well, it's because there was world commerce. Yeah. Everybody knew everybody. It's just a modern way of thinking that we think, oh my God, we just discovered, you know, this tribe. We didn't know anything. It didn't used to be that way. Everybody knew everywhere at some level and there was trading. And, you know, this, this came to a head again with the Japanese. What was it? Were they, they were either talking to someone in Israel or one of the South American Indian tribes. And they realized instantly that there was a, a hereditary connection, exactly as you explained through, through the language. And by the way, who hasn't noticed when the, uh, the Japanese religious, right? What is it? I forget which one where they've got the black cube on their forehead. Well, you can go find that in Israel too, right now. Saturnian. And in Islam, yep, and black stones you know? that represent Krishna in India, which mean black. Krishna literally translates as black. There's a whole story that I just heard about that too, which goes back to the Indian tradition where there was a holy man where the, the very name for the Buddha-like teacher meant that he was dark and that he had woolly hair. Yeah. And I'm not of the opinion that that's a, a sub-Saharan uh, African tribe. Wool is pertains to wisdom. So Indians in general have kind of like a woolly hair, whereas like the Indians have that, uh, sorry, the Asians have that like bone straight hair. And so wool, that's what Sufi, like the Sufis mean literally those who wear wool, but also it pertains to Sophia. Well, everyone's seen the Buddha. How would you describe the hair on the Buddha? I mean, that could be described. It's these little curlies, right? These little tight curls, woolly, almost woolly looking on the right. typical Buddha that made it to Tibet, but, that Buddha. But Indians have curly hair. You know, they have straight hair, but they also have curly hair. So like 
for people who've ever like watched like people like make statues or draw it's hard hair is one of the hardest things for an artist to recreate so i wouldn't i'm i'm not of the opinion that like if you look at like every like you know cuz there's that there's that if you read a lot of these old books they call them like you know negro was not a bad word back then it just means black right so you'll say you'll see accounts of oh there was a i went to this part of india and there was tribes of negroes and then you go look up that culture and it's just yeah they're kind of dark but they're not like they're not sub saharan african dark you know well i've seen i've seen them described as blue men when they were first discovered in, in our modern era, uh, and they were considered exotic and interesting. So this race card thing is a modern construct. As a matter of fact, in the in the thing that's been taken off the air now, I understand American Gods, where they were really kind of throwing cards on the table. They get to a uh, an undertaking house where Thoth is the guy there who's black, and he he tells you this very thing, um, that this race card idea was a modern construct, and he says, my people used to be exotic and well-respected. So you can see, you know, it's no different than what you said about the Jesuits, just defaming people till it sticks. Yeah, and it's kind of like the, the race thing, these attributes, there is, you know, it, it, it's probably just like the phenotype that develops from the land. You know, it's kind of like how when they, the Spanish went to South America, all the quadrupeds down there are different. They're not like anything that they have up in Europe. You know, life is different in different parts of the world. Right. It doesn't mean that like they're, you know, they're going to have obvious skill sets that are attuned to their environment. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I've actually, uh, going back to like these language, like connections and stuff, just even like the um, stones, the calories that the certain African tribes use to count versus what they use in India. And it's like the same word, pretty much. What it, what it looks like is whatever that this older empire, this this global thing that once existed or worldwide, whatever it is, it's probably just these people were part of that. And they got cut off because of the change in the landscapes that happen over time and how far the distances they would have to go if they're not sailing. And your body probably changes over time to adapt to the phenotype of the environment. And so if you're over near the equator, your body's going to have to adapt to that, you know? But the, the cultures are different. Everything is different. But we're coming up to the, the top of the first hour. Um, did, you, did you get a chance to read uh, The Worship of Augustus Caesar? Do you use it yeah, or, as a reference? Because, I mean, it's so, it's so dense and there are so many dates and it, your head starts spinning after a while. I sure did. I, so this is what I did. I read it. For me, like some of the things that when I try to chase it down, a lot of the stuff he's doing is just citing people. And it to me, it didn't really give me the feel like he's actually doing the work. So like if you can't like, so like, for example, I was looking at um, in the Bible, the 770, the, the seven sevens or whatever. It's like a, a cycle of 49 or 490. And I was like, I'm going to go look at the worship of Augustus Caesar. I really liked his chapter on cycles and all that stuff. Right. But like, that's great. Most, the problem is, is most of the book is not that it's like just those dates of like all when, when this culture worship this or had this cycle, which I think is incredibly valuable, like as a reference or an index. But like, when I went to like, check out like what he was like, oh, let's see if he has anything around 500 years. And he had something from a real good author that I love, uh, Dupuy, but it was a cycle from Hipp uh, Hipparchus for 500 years. But when I tried to chase that, 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 that um, that cycle down in the real world, I couldn't find it anywhere. 
I think that's by design. I think what you're seeing in the book, uh, The Worship of Augustus Caesar, is things kept alive that have kind of been shuffled under the rug here and there, because I found similar problems when I went looking online. Anyhow, we got to wrap up. So tell people one more time where they can get a hold of you and where they can find your Spirit World series. And when this goes live, please put links in comments. Uh, yes, I will. And um, yeah, it's just I'm the author of Spirit World, uh, Get Matter, Get Realistic and The Tale of Honora, O-N-O-R-A. And those are all available at any place that sells books. And um, if you want to keep, uh, like, I'm not really available. I, I don't want to like just make myself available to people. But if you want to keep up with my latest announcements or ideas, whatever, my YouTube is just my name, Dylan Sicosio, and that's it. Everyone should get the Spirit World series. There are books that are going to be easier for some and not so easy for others, but it gives you a different way to think about the world. And that's the key here, because most of the issues that I notice are because people believe in things. And the reason they believe in them is because they were told to believe in them. And if they would stop and say, wait a minute, prove this, or let me take this apart, they might not so readily accept all these narratives that have brought us to here. But I'll tell you something. If you look at the world that's coming on us now, and if it goes the distance the way it is, it's not far off the narrative that I have recently been exposed to uh, that certain levels of people were taught about a thing called Atlantis, why it went away, what they did wrong, how devastating their technology went haywire um, to the point where I even look at Edward Casey a little differently than I did before. I didn't disrespect him, but I begin to notice that what's being said there fits with the narrative of a lesson and a schooling that I would never get. So anyhow, that brings hour one of episode 416 to a close. Can I get one more thing in? Make it quick. I'm surprised you missed uh, in Alexander Del Mar's book, Age of Aquarius, starting 1790, oh, baby. I, 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 no, I meant, I meant to bring hour that up. Hour No, we're opening with that. I meant to bring that up, and you're right. I did forget, because the moment I read it, I said, Dylan Sicoccio needs to read this book, <laughs> because it's where you're at. And that's one of the reasons I thought you'd really dig it. Anyhow, let me wrap this up. Um, hour one is free. Hour two is at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Hope to see you all there and let me wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Um, join us. We're going to open with where Del Mar claims the age of Aquarius, which is damn close to where Dylan put it. Anyhow, there it is, man. Cheers.
Boy.